Well, hello. Welcome to another edition of Brothers of Blood. We are the titular brothers. I'm Phil. With me is Jay. And Jay. Uh, that is Jay. Today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, 2001's Session 9. And uh, not to be confused, I don't want anyone to think that there were eight previous sessions, like Leonard's. There were not five previous Leonard's either. Uh, this is just Session 9 from 2001. Brad Anderson directing. And uh, Jay, uh, initial uh, thoughts on this movie. Had you seen it before? I have seen this before. Uh, it was... Um, I, I really uh, enjoy this movie. Um, I, I have a couple of uh, uh, things about it that, that kind of bother me a little bit, but uh, I've always really uh, seen this as an amazing example of atmosphere in a movie. Um, how you don't really have to have much of a story uh, if, you, if you have... I mean, you can have a, a very effective story that doesn't have a lot uh, uh, of uh, uh, of uh, thickness to it, if you have the right sound and, and and atmosphere, I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, it really does put it into into that sort of um, you know it, personality goes a long way, as a wise man once wrote uh, yeah. said. And I think that that ultimately, uh, you're right. I think this movie delivers where it may actually be faulty. It's a weird sort of synergy. It almost is, you know, where you know, on its face, the plot is a little derivative and, you know, maybe a little thin at, at points. The performances are a little uh, hit and miss, you know, across the board. Um, but production value, sound design, editing, and a general tone uh, atmosphere, as you say, I think really can uh, deliver, you know, in a way that, that elevates each of these sort of individual parts uh, to a, a much better movie. I sort of uh, saw this movie in the theater in 2001 uh, around the time I was seeing just about anything I could possibly find and uh, immediately was struck by it. Uh, loved it. Uh, there is a scene in the trailer and we can talk a little bit about uh, the movie obviously as it goes, uh, but there's a, a little line and a look uh, delivered in the trailer uh, by the Gordon where he's looking and, and just in the shot in the trailer and the trailer sort of sets a scene and it certainly has a little atmosphere built in. You kind of get a sense. Uh, but the, the line in which he's sort of looking out the window of this truck. Uh, and again, without context, he just sort of almost cries out in a very uh, solemn tone. I want to go home uh, to David, you know, who we find out later is David Caruso. And in that moment, in that trailer, just that one, eight seconds, I said to myself, I have to see this movie. There's something about that character, that actor delivering that line that way and thought, well, I need to know what make, what's making this scene happen. So I Absolutely. went out to the theater and I loved it. Yeah, and, and, and it, it really does, I mean, uh, it, it's very effective at setting the scene. Like you get almost right away who these people are in relation to each other, how they feel about each other. Like it's, it's, it's really effective at, at sort of setting that tone immediately. Yeah, I agree. Even, I mean, just even in terms of an opening shot and we can talk, uh, get into the movie movie itself uh, yeah. uh, in a moment, but um, generally speaking, yeah, it does. A, it's very effective from an opening shot through to a final window. shot. They uh, use that really highly effectively throughout the movie. Yeah. The one you're referring to. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's anyway, it's just a, it's a great uh, sequence uh, of events. The opening shot, the sort of the wheelchair down the corridor, it really just leaves you this feeling of what is happening. Um, yeah. And not in a way that is um, disingenuous. You know, I don't, I don't ever feel like, um, you know, the movie's trying to play a trick on me necessarily. It's unfolding in a way that does make some sense. They try and sort of take you on a couple of twists and turns. Um, one of the things that I suppose, you know, this movie may suffer from is, is maybe a replayability but as you mentioned, uh, you know, I've seen this movie probably over the years now, in the last 20 years, I'd say maybe half a dozen times. And uh, each time it delivers, you know, not necessarily a surprise, but it delivers uh, uh, an entertainment. You know, it delivers uh, a little bit of chills and, and, and that line 
still delivers, uh, it still hits me. And, and everything about the movie I find still works, you know, even with the hindsight of 20, 20 years. Um, it's pretty impressive filmmaking. And, you know, Brad Anderson, who directed it and wrote it, his next movie was a movie called The Machinist. And I'm not sure if you'd ever seen that, but it does sort of keep the dark, tonal, uh, atmospheric uh, undertone. Um, uh, have you seen that movie? Uh, I actually have not seen it. I, I'm aware of it. Uh, I'm familiar with the sort of story elements of it. I'm obviously uh, uh, Christian Bale's transformation uh, for that. Uh, Very noteworthy. Is, yeah. Is pretty well documented. Um, it's I just never got around to it. For sure. Well, I mentioned it only because those two movies sort of come as a bit of a sandwich because the movies he made prior something like Happy Accidents, you know, which is sort of a romantic comedy that I didn't find particularly engaging. And Trans-Siberian, which he made after The Machinist, which was sort of a relatively mediocre uh, kind of thriller. And he's made a couple of other movies. I saw The Call with uh, Halle Berry uh, a few years back. And so to me, he's just a, a director that strangely made those sort of two movies in a bit of a vacuum, you know, 2001, 2004. Um, and then just sort of hasn't yet delivered on that promise, you know, uh, for whatever reason, uh, his other movies just haven't, just haven't done it. What this movie continues to do for me. And I, you know, and I mentioned this, it's a, it's a movie that has, has benefited in some ways from being a little off the beaten path so that it doesn't get the sort of regurgitation every October. It's not necessarily the movie that, you know, people will, will gravitate towards, which is why I'm happy to present it in this podcast as a way to just to indicate any of our listeners, of course, that, uh, you know, this movie exists uh, because I, I don't know that if you're the person off the street, you know, when I worked at a video store, it was very, very, it was handy to have. It was like my, my back pocket movie in, in October because people would come in and they'd rent a bunch of the usual stuff. Uh, See, and they would say, well, what, what, what would you recommend? What do you want to, you know, what, 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 what would I like? Um, and, uh, uh, session nine was always like the back pocket movie, you know, check yeah, this absolutely. out. I think you'll like it. Because, yeah. You're, 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 you're standing a good chance that they're never going to hear or uh, heard of it. And, uh, and, uh, say, bring that little, Hey, I've got a secret, you know, it's like the little club that doesn't, that does no advertising and you have to go down the, the side alley and only, you know, someone will have to tell you about it and you have a password and you have to give it at the, at the door, you know, but That's it's right. like a real special place. Um, you know, this movie, I'm, I'm curious about how you think about this because, you know, you're obviously relating to the October, uh, you know, with Halloween. I see this less as a horror movie, as more of a, it's, it's a horror movie, but it's a different kind of horror movie. And one of the things that kind of annoys me about it is it kind of, at times, I feel goes for the, that supernatural kind of link. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't feel like that's what this movie is. Like I feel this is this is a man falling apart, you know, uh, in his in his mind, and uh, and it's sort of it, it's and it's kind of equated with what's going on and the location and obviously the the, the sessions, but mm -hmm. I don't feel like they're related. And yet there are times where I feel like it's trying to force you into that, and that's the only that's the only thing I don't really that that's really uh, uh, kind of gotten to me when I rewatched it. I thought, this is so much less of a, of a supernatural horror movie than it wants to be, but I don't think it should. I think it should have sort of lent completely in the direction that it ends up going. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a fair, uh, a fair argument. You know, when I think about it, what I, what I recommend it as, less a horror movie necessarily, because it isn't the sort of, uh, you know, again, video store terms, people are you know, just, you know, generally speaking, kind of looking for lowest common denominator, right? So by putting it in the context of like, what's scary, what's going to make me, you know, kind of mm -hmm. that kind of vibe, I put it in the category of that sort of suspense, thrillery, uh, edge of your seat, uh, you know, there's a little violence, a little blood, but generally speaking, it's more of like a tense uh, thriller. But I, I agree with you in that I, I do think that in particular, the way that it's cut, and I noticed that maybe more this time with watching it uh, with a little more of a, let's say, a critical eye, but I did notice that the way that it's cut together does sort of leave you it with that 
um, perception. You know, it sort of seems to want to tie it into the the hospital as haunted house, you know, or the exactly. you know the the asylum as the um, as like I said, the haunted uh, you know the, that, that's the instigator. Exactly, you know, what's instigating the, the issues, and and again, you know, it's it's not that, and I think I think I appreciate it more when I don't look at it as a horror movie and I think about it as as sort of the circumstances and and surroundings and what they can do to someone who's already fragile, you know? Well, and, and and going through that lens is so much, It's there's so much more to appreciate than waiting for some kind of explanation that never comes because you're like, oh, it was all, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, uh, there's that classic story about The Shining, you know, where you introduce... Jack Nicholson and, and, and the idea is that this dude's already crazy, you know? Um, and so, you know, the, the perception is that, you know, or at least certainly in the novel, right. There's this idea that the, it's the hotel and the haunted nature of, of the overlook that is preying upon his weakness or, you know, his, his frailties. And yet, and this movie, I think is trying to tread similar water uh, except far less gracefully, you know, I mean, uh, when you're Stanley Kubrick can get away with a little bit more when you're working with Jack Nicholson and that kind of environment, but Brad Anderson and, and David Caruso maybe can't muster that same level. But I, I do, I do suggest that that is, that that's accurate. I, I do think that, that, that it does sort of fall a little bit, um, or falter, I should say in that it, it doesn't connect all of those dots. And to your point, I, I don't know that it really needs to, you know, um, and I find maybe upon multiple viewings, you know, I find some of the structure of it a little bit more heavy handed than I remembered. You know, I, I found some of the cutting uh, is a little too on the nose uh, in a way that I didn't really notice the last time I watched it. Mm -hmm. No, I have to totally agree. Now, at the same time, you know, um, it, it's still brilliant use of sound design. I mean, uh, it's 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 so and and again and the location uh, you know you couldn't have picked a better <laughs> a better place to 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 convey <laughs> you know a uh, that kind of uh, that kind of atmosphere um, you know I'm sure I'm sure we're going to talk about that too uh, but you know the the act of using an actually abandoned asylum that from all accounts that I've been able to look was basically already in that state they didn't really have to dress it so it's kind of which adds a lot to that sort of creepy factor yeah absolutely i think that that's i think that's key right i mean ultimately it the authenticity of that uh of that of that place of that of that asylum really does allow for and maybe it's partly the filmmaker and it's probably just the subconscious mind watching it you know that wants to correlate those two because it is creepy as hell you know, because it does have the elements that you would see as being like, well, you know, that's a scary place to go. And then you hear the story of ghosts and you hear the story of, you know, the past and the, the challenges that they may have had uh, at Danvers that you do sort of maybe put that together in as much as the movie sort of obviously sort of wants you to. Um, but I think it's uh, I think it's. It's creepy place to be. So yeah, it, its atmosphere is perfectly situated, even if it's not necessarily um, the point. You know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So I, I, I also, uh, you know, obviously the biggest star in the movie, David Caruso. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm shocked to me again when I when I, I see him. He shows up in this movie. I hadn't seen him. I, I want to say years and years since probably Jade or something. And, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, he's still only okay. Uh, I don't know, you know, uh, other than Gordon, my, uh, I would say uh, the cast itself left me a little bit. And Josh Lucas has got a certain charm about him. Um, but the yeah. cast itself, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't find that it was really delivering what it, it, it needed to. Um, you know, guys like... Uh, you know, Brendan Sexton the third. You know, I don't know what uh, what he's doing, but Brendan he Sexton the third, whose most notable credit, as far as I could tell, was uh, Empire Records as uh, Warren. Warren. The kid that was <laughs> That's right. The record. That was his. Uh, so this was his uh, the the sheriff rise and then 
decline <laughs> of Brendan Sexton the third. Uh, David Caruso, um, yeah, I mean, he was okay. His character I found extraordinarily unlikable. Uh, he did a very good job of portraying that. But I got to tell you, he did what I, I don't, you know, I don't know him, uh, enough of his work, but that's one epic line read uh, on the oh, hey, hey, fuck you. <laughs> close up like what the fuck I, we have to talk about that what the yes. hell <laughs> it's my least favorite scene in the whole movie that's so crazy every it's time my I least... see it I'm like, I'm like how does that survive a cut <laughs> yeah. no I agree I, I think how many takes and <laughs> and who's doing the camera work and who's at you know it is my least favorite movie point in the movie and it it completely derails it everything else is a certain level of i don't want to say believability but maybe plausibility you know like like i'll accept a lot going into a movie like this and you give me a line reading like that things are amping up things are heating up i think at that point you know uh josh lucas has been you know dispatched yeah. um right been, and so yeah. they're going to hunt for they're all the paranoia is starting to hit uh, yeah. because you know, uh, uh, Warren uh, saw, saw him talking <laughs> at that point. And uh, yeah, and then there's, like I said, just out of nowhere, this fucking line reading that I'm like, yeah. what is happening? And, uh, and I mean, even if you don't like horror movies and you're not into the psychological thing, you should see the movie just for that. Just oh, my God. Have... It's the and worst. Oh, God, <laughs> it's the absolute worst. It takes it takes me right out of the movie at a time when it's really ratcheting up. And yeah. I remember laughter. Now, when I saw this movie in the theater, there was only th three other people in there. But there was chuckles when that yeah. scene happens because it is so ridiculous, a performance, and, and so ridiculous. Exactly. Choice. You've spent all this time building up this tension, and then, and then you lose it with a line that's not supposed to be funny. I mean, no, <laughs> and yet is probably the most hilarious thing in the movie. Um, yeah, it, it's so unintentionally, I, I can only assume unintentionally funny and ludicrous, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. And as a result, it takes, you know, granted, you know, it gets me back in pretty quickly. Uh, oh, yeah. Because soon after that, you've got a couple of cool chase sequences. Again, working with the light, you've got the story unfolding on the tapes. Like everything is kind of. Uh, you know, firing at that point, but but certainly for a period of time, however short it may be, I'm completely removed from the movie and laughing at yeah. this scene. And and without fail, I have I had no doubt. Like I certainly had it in my notes, but I had no doubt that at some point that would come up because it is so obnoxiously out of place. Exactly. That it's you can't help but notice it. You can't help but think. Like you just take a second, you go, what? What? Yeah. What? Why does he say? And then, and then again, you're back into it right away. But you know, there is going to be a minute where you wonder, why did he? Why is he saying it like that? I just don't. I don't get it. So yeah, I mean, David Russo. I mean, there's a few, a few line uh, deliveries that you know I, I think are pretty funny. Uh, but then nothing is even close to that. Um, uh, I will say, uh, Josh Lucas, I did, I did enjoy, uh, I did enjoy his uh, very dickish performance. He does yes. play a very, a very good lout. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think obviously the the star is. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it, but James Mullen is amazing. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. He is amazing. again. He's performing his performance. That's the scene in the in the car that uh, you know sold me like i said and and watching this movie he owned the movie uh in every scene he's in uh i believed his his desperation i believed his sorrow i just believed his fear uh i believed every every everything he his character is trying to portray i thought i believed every second of it i thought his performance was it was fantastic yeah, no, he he he's absolutely, and I wasn't really all that familiar with him uh, previous to that. I'd seen him in Braveheart or a couple other things, maybe, but but uh, he, he absolutely blew me away. I thought, I mean, this movie doesn't exist without that performance. Like we certainly wouldn't be talking about it. Um, no, 
I wouldn't have seen it. Like I said, he sold me. It was him in that in that trailer in the moment that that I was like, I I'm seeing this movie, win, lose, or draw. Maybe the movie's garbage, but like I need to know what's happening in that scene at that time. Yeah. And uh you probably also mentioned there is another cast member, and maybe you know it's too uh maybe that's the description, but uh the um uh the actor who's playing Mike, who I believe also co-wrote the movie. He did co-write it, yep. And I was just like, uh, I was just thinking, you know, he was kind of so bland that I didn't even remember. <laughs> we, haven't, we, haven't even <laughs> we haven't even mentioned him yet. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I mean, obviously he's he's the one that finds the tapes and is uh, is uh, very, uh, you know, gets gets all that going. But once again, just kind of a, a pretty blah performance. I mean, nothing, it wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't outstanding. No, I find, uh, you know, I think he, he's really just there as function, you know. He's there to, uh, yeah, he's there to get the page played. Because I've never really, in the entire the time, you know, the running time, I don't really see him working, <laughs> you no. know. I don't really see him. And he's a bit, he's kind of like, again, to, to sort of find a comparator uh, to, to The Shining, which I don't intend to do necessarily, but the idea was, or is in the, in the book and in the movie, that, the sort of history of the overlook is what's is what's all consuming Jack, you know, and in this movie, I feel like that's his role, right? Like he's just yeah. digging and, and unearthing uh, the history of the, of the, and releasing maybe, you know, the, uh, the poison or what have you into the air. Yeah. Um, and it comes across as a bit, uh, you know, perfunctory, right? Like it's just there as function. And, yeah. uh, and, as that, and that's kind of, again, the other thing is like, there's times in the movie where, he seems almost again like they're trying to make it seem like he's supernaturally um, yeah. you know, obsessed with this, and that you know, uh, oh, uh, even though he knows he's going to fuck up the the job or whatever, he's you know sabotaging it so he can get twenty minutes to go and listen to the to the tapes or whatever else. And and again, right. I kind of came off a little, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he can just be interested in it, but you know, the way that they made it kind of weird, I was like, it's, it, you know, it just kind of gives you that wrong impression where it's more like it's haunting him kind of deal. And maybe it is, but again, I don't get that. And I don't get, read that when I watch this movie. So it, it's almost like, uh, it's like a bad red herring. almost. I agree. And I, I would say that that might be more truthful or like be more uh, to the point if, if he had a larger role. Right. But like he and him listening to the tapes, we're only as an audience listening to the tapes. No one else in this group of people yeah. uh, are hearing anything about these tapes. So if he were playing a more focal role, let's say in the disintegration of what's happening, then you would say, well, there's more room to, for the argument that says, well, the tapes and they, you know, they messed them up and they got them in his mind and, you know, whatever, yeah. but he doesn't have a role. He's not really participating. Exactly. He, it doesn't go beyond that with him. He just sits yeah. there and listens. So he's not that's doing right. anything. It's not like it's compelling him to do anything. So again, that sort of, it just seems like a, a kind of a, uh, and it's not even a red herring, I don't think, because that would imply that they're, you know, trying to misdirect you. I just feel like at times they just didn't know where they were kind of going with it. Yeah, I just literally think you need somebody to flick, press play on the tapes because yeah. the whole movie kind of hinged on it. And I suppose we can, uh, we can move into it. To get him away from the job, because otherwise you have an audience sitting there going, uh, "Dude, you got a week. You better get yeah. to work." <laughs> like, well, I, I found myself—I did find myself saying that a couple of times in this movie, with each sort of moment of uh, derailment. Let's say uh, uh, whether it was him going down to listen to the tapes, or it's lunchtime again, or, or the you know the kid is off on the on the you know the machine, or Josh Lucas is sort of jerking off and you know whatever the case uh i found myself thinking like do you guys know you have a week to do this job you thought <laughs> was very free on this urgent job nobody's yeah. working very hard yeah like it's the most important thing in the world everybody needs it you're willing to underbed by two weeks and those yeah, things that can be done <laughs> that's the other thing they're all thinking well this can't be done well obviously not if you're taking an hour for lunch every day that's it Right. Like you've got to work some double time here and everyone seems to be like, well, four o'clock quitting time. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that all of those things are kind of things that like do absolutely kind of leave me kind of questioning some of the internal logic of the movie. But deliver yeah. 
you know, but still keep that movie moving, right? And that's one of the things that also impresses me as I find that this, it's a pretty tight movie, generally speaking. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it gives you uh, little little traces, little little bits, you know, to kind of keep you motivated, as it were, to kind of continue. Uh, I, I found the structure of it to be, uh, you know, interesting, compelling, you know, performance, as I said, a little hit and miss here and there, but enough was happening to move it forward uh, that I, I didn't find it dragged or, or any of that nature. Did you have any yeah. struggles with the uh, pacing? Yeah, you definitely did. And again, you get that, that immediate impression of who these people are, what their relationship is with each other. They spell it out pretty quick. And, and I didn't even feel like it was all that heavy handed. Like it was just exposition because it seemed to be natural. There was that natural feud between Caruso and Lucas because of the whole wife sharing thing. And that's just, mentioned enough that it's not it's not sort of you know you didn't get the whole history of of their thing it was just like a you know he's fucking your ex-wife and that's you know and there you go now you know why they don't get each other i um, have to interrupt i have to interrupt i was wondering how long it would be until somebody uh, until josh lucas or or caruso said uh, how's your wife and my kids i thought that that uh, <laughs> yeah but never happened no slap shot <laughs> reference yeah <laughs> it's a good one um, but yeah, so it was just, you know, you get, you get a, a real sense of, uh, you know, and who, you know, they, they work together and, and he's the, this, and, uh, you know, you really get a sense right away of who they are, why they're here, what the, you know, what the job is, what the, you know, the limitations are again, and you get all that delivered in five minutes, bang, everything's worked out. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's totally right. You know, and you, you introduce, uh, you know, part of, you justify, uh, Mike's interest in the case, both by his being the studious one, you know, the sort of uh, uh, the smart of the bunch, but also um, almost a lawyer. Yeah. So and he, and exactly. And he knows the 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 Patricia, you know, uh, I can't remember now. Uh, I have it in my note there somewhere. The Patricia Willard case, you yeah. know, that's sort of linchpin of the whole of the whole plot. So. You know, he does sort of, again, present like, oh, okay, he's fascinating. He's a researcher. He's an educator. You know, he's so, you know, you do kind of buy at least the characterization, even if it doesn't really work or is necessary with relationship to the actual uh, inner logic of the movie. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, you know, now, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe maybe actually he's, he's actually more, uh, it's more in character that he doesn't work very hard. Because I'm thinking a guy who studies law, law probably doesn't want to sling asbestos all day. So he's kind of like, ah, you know what? I'm going to take another break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to stretch my legs. You need to read some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't think he's <laughs> all that into the physical labor. No. And certainly didn't seem to be. Didn't seem, didn't to, be. seem to be. Although they all kind of have this weird thing with the, you know, uh, uh, Josh Lucas, when he talks about uh, Hank as a character's name, I should maybe use that. But uh, one of the things, yeah. like he talks about the asbestos, with uh, the kid, like he's playing on the rock and roll music and it's, you know, and he tells the story of, you know, it gets in you, you know, and you're dying and you're, you know, you're breathing all this in or whatever else. And I thought, A, it's a little ironic because the guy's also chain smoking throughout the, <laughs> throughout the operation. Like you're so concerned that this kid is poisoning his lungs uh, with asbestos. Um, but also just like in terms of, I feel like the masks are optional at different points of the movie, you know, uh, yeah. and I think depending it's on not who has to talk. <laughs> depending on who has dialogue, pretty much. Yes, exactly. That's the thing, right? And it's sort of, it, it is sort of, if you're going to set up that world and have a scene that specifically calls it out, you should probably maintain some of that again, that inner logic uh, a little bit more. Uh, exactly. Yeah, but. I know. I did notice that. Uh, I think uh, WSIB would have a. a, a <laughs> That's the Canadian workplace uh, in case we have international listeners. <laughs> um, the workplace uh, health insurance board, yeah. Uh, yeah. They would have some serious issues with, with this operation, I think. I would suggest so. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, let's break down the, uh, the plot, as it were, as it is. Uh, ultimately, the, the plot centers on a group of five asbestos removers uh, that are tasked with uh, eliminating the asbestos and cleaning up uh, from a old insane asylum. And the sort of madness uh, that is sort of projected uh, uh, 
that uh, projected onto them, as it were, that leads them to do some dastardly things. Uh, that's that's the summary I came up with. You got anything better? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's basically it's it's like I said, it's it's a guy whose company is uh, is having uh, you know financial difficulties, is uh, uh, has a big contract, can't afford to lose it, uh, so he's got that stress on it. He's got obviously. You know, um, he's got a new baby, as you find out. He's got all of this. So he's got all this stress. This is his crew, and this is the job. And he has, he's basically put in a situation where he's got to underbid um, uh, to get this job. And so, uh, you know, he's going to need to do it as fast as possible. So you see all of the strain on the guy. And, uh, and then he sort of, you see him fall apart. <laughs> That's basically what, the, what, what this is about. Yeah, a bit of a descent into madness. I do think, you know, he sort of says over and over again, too, as, he, as he's introduced and, and so forth into the, I need the job. I need this job. I got to have this job, right? So yeah. there is that. You can definitely fear, uh, feel a, a little bit of uh, desperation coming off of Gordon. And yeah. the, it's like what happens when you put someone who is just starting to crack inside a pressure cooker that happens to be in state asylum. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. And they do kind of touch on it because there is very early on this sort of ethereal voice uh, greeting him, right? Again, the uh, hello, Gordon. Right. There's yeah. some indication again that he's got some connection, as it were, to the building. Yeah, and, and it's and see, this is it's kind of one of those examples of something that I kind of like and dislike. I love that. The creepiness of that when he first yeah. sees that that wheelchair and then the voice hello gordon is so creepy yeah. um and of course and you have no context for that yet um, no and and it's it's so effective in 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 sort of setting that stage um but at the same time again lends it to this kind of supernatural thing which i don't feel like it pays off so it, it kind of it's kind of a, a weird misdirect uh, but at the same time it does link the two because I think it's very sim like I think there is a link there it's just not a an actual uh, like an actual link it's more of a this is an insane asylum and this guy just is going insane <laughs> you know yeah and, and yeah so the cases are similar kind of deal I do agree I think that it is a it's a pretty tenuous connective device um, that ultimately I do think works again. I think to your point, I agree in that it is effective. It is creepy. It does deliver. And even if in the end it's a bit um, unnecessary or again, doesn't have the weight maybe that it, it is presupposing at the beginning of the movie or sets up at the beginning. uh, I do think it's still an engaging plot device it just isn't necessarily uh, it just important. <laughs> I feel that I don't feel like it, it, it. I feel like it aims for or sets up an expectation that you're going to get a, uh, a more of a supernatural kind of movie that you get. Um, yes. Not that it's a bad thing, but it certainly it does certainly grab you, and it certainly makes you want to find out what's going on. Agreed, agreed, and it is. I mean, ultimately. There is, and it, I mean, I think to a certain extent, I want to disagree just a little bit, but I do think with a certain piece of and some of the ways in which the movie unfolds, the sort of last few minutes of the movie, I, it's, it's, it's not a great payoff to that particular uh, concept, let's say, but I mm-hmm. love the build, what it builds to, and we'll get to the sort of last scenes and the last lines, you know, later on, but I do think that the beginning with a hello Gordon and the sort of the way the ending goes, I do think that they work. They're not interconnected. They're almost parallel to one another. And I think it's because they don't have the material or the weight to really connect the two in a way that makes the most amount of sense. But Mm -hmm. I do think that they utilize again, the voiceover, the, the presentation of the, the manifestation of the, of the insanity, insanity. Uh, I think yeah, that they've I mean, paid no, that off pretty well. Bad. It just doesn't really make sense to have the house, you know, the the haunted mansion, you know, uh, say, hello, Gordon. You know, like, and, and it doesn't make sense, even though it's incredibly effective and creepy. 
Yeah, and, and I agree with that completely. And and again, and though and that sound again, those tapes as they're playing and what it ends up sending up, it, it is so effective. So it's hard. It's really hard to sort of have a niggle at that. But it's just one of those things that, and I think it actually makes it effective on the second watch because you can sort of because it then it represents something different. It represents sort of um, I think the first kind of crack in in yes, what, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, and and it's. Uh, and that's, that's where it manifests. Yeah. So after you see it, I think when you watch it again, that takes on a different uh, a different meaning, and it becomes even more effective. But at your first watch, I think it's like I said, it just kind of sets up something that that doesn't like. I think you're you're waiting to see ghosts, or you're waiting to see things, and and you don't that you don't get to. So yeah, I, think I think maybe like I said, it, it kind of sets up a, a bit of a false expectation, but uh, but at the same time becomes so much more effective when you watch it after you see it, uh, when you see the movie again. Agreed, 100%. I think it's, it's you know, and again, sort of, they do have scenes. I mean, again, the opening shot, that great, you know, the, <laughs> the upside down, I believe, wheelchair yeah. as it sort of turns, uh, you know, rotates and so forth. Like, that's just, again, an evocative image. What it means is irrelevant at that point. It's just your entree into the movie. And damn, mm -hmm. if that's not, I mean, it's the poster, it's its the entire, you know, sort of uh, aesthetic of the movie yeah. is that shot. Uh, and so Ooh. immediately within, you know, two minutes, you're into whatever this movie, into the tone of what this movie is presenting. And I think that's a rarity. You don't always get that in, a, in an opening shot, certainly. And I think this movie, it's a nice uh, departure because you just watch it and you said, you know, within seconds, oh, okay, this is going to be a, a ride. And the sound design. I mean, I got to say, the score, as little as there is, very sparse. Yep, so effective when it comes in. The little stings, the, yep. uh, the backwards. You know, the things that you know, you get that sort of backwards recording kind of feel at yep. times. Um, it's it's really, really, really well done. And again, really uh, sets sets a real atmosphere uh, that 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 persists throughout the whole thing. Yeah, agreed. It's very interesting. I really like that opening shot. I like the idea of it kind of goes from that into a little bit more pleasant, a little bit of uh, comedy with the tour and the bat, you know, again, these overhead establishing shots, similar to like a Shawshank Redemption, uh, you know, these overhead of like just the scope and the size of it, just to kind of put it in context. I love all that sort of establishing stuff. And to your point, I think they introduced the characters very quickly and very, uh, you know, succinctly but you tell you everything you need to know. So I think the movie really starts at a pretty solid clip as to what it's trying to do. And it also, uh, I guess, you know, it's a pretty tight, again, about a tight like hour 40-ish. Uh, yeah. I think it, it gets into the tapes pretty quickly. Um, and ultimately, as they're sort of rooting through and trying to sort this stuff out, you do get a little bit, again, touching back on a little bit of the, uh, the you know, the... Uh, the ghost part of it, you know, the sort of uh, it, it's the the plug is is unplugged when they go down, you know, and it's sort of like, well, what happened? You know, there is the sort mm -hmm. of supernatural presentation that I think was probably in there before it got edited. You know, they're certainly trying to elements of that. But that part does sort of stick out, even if it is what gets him downstairs to look into the, you know, the film room and all that kind of stuff. It's questionable, but it, it works, I think. Yeah, and it just it just seems like they if they needed something to happen, they were like, well, yeah. it is a horror movie. We could just kind of the hotel did or the uh, the hospital did it, you know, or something. Yeah. And it just, like I said, it kind of there are times where I'm just like, oh, so they're trying to. If you're waiting for it, waiting for it, it never comes. There is a slight disappointment, even you know, at some point, even if you like how the movie ends, you're like, oh, but I thought it was going to be, oh, okay, you know, and that that's the yeah. only kind of thing that. You know, it's like if you're going to do it, you know, at least have, you know, at least just commit to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, commit you, to it and pay it off. I think it is a bit of like a cake yeah. and eat it, right? To your point, they paint themselves in a, in a plot, con you know, contrivance. Well, it's easy enough to write it off as this thing. You know, it's an easy sort of fallback. Um, so pretty soon, you know, they're, they're meeting, they're sort of doing their conversations and so forth. They start getting to work. And then right away, as I said, they're pretty quickly introduced to the tapes. And I thought it was kind of interesting, again, using the tapes as a bit of a narrative device to keep the backstory or the, you know, the, the sort of B plot uh, moving forward. I thought that was a, an interesting uh, plot device 
you know, um, yeah. you know, I don't love a lot of voiceover, generally speaking, when it's sort of nothing but exposition. But using it in this context, I thought, well, that's an interesting choice. You know, I don't know uh, what your thoughts are just in general about voiceover or this one particular. Well, I think I think the tapes are effective. I mean, it's it's uh, uh, the whole Mary Hobbs. Uh, I mean, you you easily get the feeling like this is something historical. This is something obviously that you know was a big deal um, back in the day uh, when the hospital was working. And and you know it's it's pleasant enough, but it there's definitely dark turns in the multiple personalities. And, and I love how they they sort of tease it out. You know, you you get. You get you first meet the you know the princess and then princess, and, yep. and they sort of talk about about what she you know what she does and, and that kind of stuff and but they're always asking about Simon and nobody wants to talk about Simon and that's you know that buildup is is amazing uh, yeah. and then you know, of course leading to when you finally get there and it's uh, I think uh, exactly what <laughs> you know like there's no uh, there's no disappointment I think that. Is paid off really well, especially like the voice with the, especially with the uh, with the reel to reel, you know that distortion and everything else. It's it's so effective. Uh, yeah, I the, think hundred like, percent. I, I, I think it's great. I think revealing princess, you know, you first get the idea, and there's a little bit of you know, there's text that'll tell you that, but then you know, you get the actual voice and talking about how uh, you know princess lives in the tongue, you know oh, yeah. uh, that she she you know is always talking. Uh, you know, you sort of start to, to break down each individual uh, personality. And then, you know, then you get the sort of weird stuff with, with Hank. Uh, you know, he's, he's finding the, he's off on his own. He finds the coins. He's thinking, oh, shoot, you know, this is my ticket out of here. Uh, and then almost very quickly, we start talking about, we're introduced to Billy. Uh, yeah. And again, this sort of second personality now who's talking and it's a completely different personality, which I thought was, again, just a, a nice touch. And it's, you know, spoken around that he is, he lives in the eyes, you know, Billy, yeah. Billy sees everything uh, and tells their story uh, predominantly, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting take uh, as well. And, and, and I have to call out and I, I, I didn't actually look into it, but um, if, if it was one person that was recording, uh, you know, playing Mary and, and the personalities, I have to say they did a fantastic job. Absolutely. hundred percent. Absolutely. They do all sound very different. A hundred percent. I thought it was really, uh, really great. Uh, a performance again, you know, you don't know these who they are necessarily, but I thought the delivery of, of that whole uh, entire plot, actually, I thought really, really worked really worked well. I like, uh, again, Gordon kind of starts amping up. He's trying to get the job done. As you can tell that stress level, as you said, it kind of intercuts with him in the car. It's kind of that bizarre cut to him kind of coming home from, from the pitch meeting, you know, from the bidding with the, yeah. the flowers and the stuff. And again, it's just from an audience perspective, you're kind of wondering why are you doing that? And I think that is that sort of delayed gratification to sort of peel back that uh, over the time. So they've edited back and forth uh, to that. And again, very compelling. I, I found that very interesting to me. And yeah, you know that there's a story going on and you're not and you're sure you're not getting all of it yet. And there's little yeah. bits and you see like, it's, you know, you get the focus on, you know, first you just see the baby and you see the dog and and the wife and everything seems normal. And yep. then it kind of focuses on the boiling water. And then you hear a bit of a voiceover, which obviously indicates an accident. And then, yep. you know, and that sort of advances the, uh, as, as the movie goes on and you sort of, you know, as Gordon starts, you know, intimating with other people, things aren't the best at home and they had an accident, you know, they had an argument yep. and this kind of thing. So yeah, it, you, you sort of get a sense that, Oh, okay. So there's, you know, there's more stress on top and now there's this. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I it's thought that, that I was really impressed by that. I really loved it. And you do see it because, you know, Gordon is constantly being asked, are you okay? You okay? You look like shit, man. You know, that kind yeah. of stuff. And he's, I'm just tired, man. I'm just tired. And again, you just feel the desperation or see it in performance. 
Uh, yeah, and, and he's, he's, he's limping costly and deflecting. He's burning. You, know. you, you realize, oh, so that's what the, you know, that, that, the spilling. And now you, and you get all this sort of, you realize that he, you're not certain, he's not being 100% uh, with everybody around him as well. So, it's yeah, something. it's crazy. It's so good. And then when he's having that sort of breakdown, you know, by the cemetery, you know, he's sort of crying on his phone for his wife yeah. to forgive him. Yeah. Begging, you know, and he sort of confesses even, he confesses to, uh, to Caruso, you know, I hit my I wife, you know, I, I did yeah. that, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and anyway, there's just and a lot is. of that performance I think is fantastic. And the revelation that he's sort of finally opening up to that is, uh, it's just great, great performance. You can see just how everything's just beating down and it's just taking its toll and, and he plays it wonderfully. And of yes, course, you know, 100%. Yeah. Once uh, Hank uh, ends up, you know, coming back to get his booty, uh, you know, yep. and uh, at night, and of course, runs into a mysterious dark figure that you can't quite make out, uh, yep. and then uh, meets with a uh, a is uh, the end, um, and of course, yes. putting even more uh, strain on the group because now he's, you know, they're down to. Because, uh, you know, Caruso's uh, steps up and, you know, he's like, I told you about this piece of shit. And he starts, you know, making yeah. his. And, yeah, and of course, later on, I didn't hear that. You know, let's, you know, I didn't hear you make the phone call. So, yeah, the paranoia starts. Yeah, you can see the cracks that are starting to form. It's, it's, it's like the pace is real, real quick. Yeah, I like that scene, too. I like when they sort of start questioning, you know, when he's like, did we not have this? Did she not say that he's, been, you know, and then they immediately kind of, no, yeah, no, you like, told us that. You know, we never we never that. talked to Wendy. We never heard this, you know, and uh, and I kind of like that. I also thought it was a little ridiculous when, you know, the suspicion's already coming around. He's already kind of haunting and, in, in, you know, questioning Caruso. And he finally sort of admits, he's like, you know, I was talking to those guys. Don't worry, I told them, hey, I see you again. I'm calling security. Like, like any two hooligans in the history of the world ever heard that? And he's like, "Yeah, you know what? That took care of it. They'll be fine. I don't think they'll show their face here again." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, that that scene, that scene is another one that just makes me laugh. I just think this is it's ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm like, nobody's gonna buy that. You're you're delivering nobody. I, if, if I watched you do that, I'd be like, this motherfucker's lying to me. First of all, second of all, I don't think it was necessary. I think that was already kind of blown by. I don't think you yes, needed to do exactly. that. That just sounds ridiculous. But anyway, I'm yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, once once things start breaking down with this crew. You know, things really start going going to hell. And, of course, um, when uh, – <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to keep calling him Warren because I forget <laughs> what his character's name is. His name but is Jeff. When he, when he, Jeff is when spot, Oh, that's right, Jeff. That's right. When Jeff spots Hank muttering to himself uh, yeah. in the corner, of course, you know, now it becomes a whole new thing. And I got to tell you, uh, the fact that they gave Jeff uh, nyctophobia – uh, yes. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh, "Okay, so he, he's going to get caught in a dark room." But I got to tell you, that scene where the generator's running out of power and he realizes it, and the lights start going off, and he's running down the—that is so effective. It 100% is one hundred percent effective visual scene, but it's like one hundred percent new. It's coming. One hundred percent, absolutely. But that's the thing—you know—we they set up this movie. And all movies really is setups and payoffs, right? So to your point yeah. earlier, right? They set up other things they don't pay off at all, but this is the quintessential, you know, scary movie scene, right? You set up yeah. the guy that's got the the fear of 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 the dark, and <laughs> you have a generator that's going to run out of gas <laughs> while he's in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> while he's in the absolute basement, running for his life, and this is a beautiful, incredibly intense uh, scene. Uh, one of my favorite sequences in the movie, actually. And it's so simple, you know, like it's so, it's almost generic in, 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 in context, you know, yeah. uh, uh, it is exactly what a scary movie has to offer often, yeah. but I thought <laughs> delivered in such, again, part of it is in a unique environment, you know, at a, at a, at a, at a key time in the movie where things are really ratcheting up. 
um, you know, I think that that stuff is, it's intense. And it leads directly to that scene with him by the van who's sort of, you know, and again, he sort of has, and they kind of cheat a little bit with these first person perspectives. You know, it's a bit like that first Friday the 13th movie, you know, like, hey, it's you. And then, you know, it's it's Ooh. over. Um, so you kind of get that scene as, as Jeff sort of eating the Oreos, you know, he's like, hey, man, sorry. And then it cuts the right to black. You think, well, OK, so he knows them or doesn't like, you know, there's sort of a little bit of a play on that. Um, it's not it's not a zombie. It's not because <laughs> there would be more of a reaction. Exactly. Exactly. And I just I love again, they sort of continue to have that those voices to Gordon, you know, where he's talking about like, do it, Gordon, do it, you know, um, you know, and, and there's that scene where he's sort of weirdly like is touching his Gordon is touching his forehead, you know, he's almost got this weird twitch almost. And it's, uh, it's a powerful yeah. moment. And, and it's, this, it's again, I can't say enough about it. It's just like a, it just ratchets up over and over again. And he's kind of has these moments where he's staring off into nothing. And he's sort of, you can tell like, he's just, breaking down and you don't necessarily yeah. know exactly what the context of that is or like what the result of that is but it's very clear that he's getting way beyond his means here and i i kind of like how uh obviously after sort of uh everything starts playing out and gordon's uh gone off the deep end and you uh <laughs> i do love how everything's sort of uh the uh the other guy that they were going to call in to replace oh yeah that. he got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he had the bad luck. Get to the parking lot, like, oh, I first day of the job. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. he gets to walk in on uh, on a, a, a total horror show. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> by the time he shows up, that's a bad call, Ripley. By the time he shows up, uh, everything is already basically done. You know, all the all the business taken care of. Now, what did you think of? And I guess this goes to the. The lack of, let's say, horror movie trope, let's say, but most of this violence, in fact, almost all of it, is off-screen. Uh, you find that a, a, a benefit or a hindrance, particularly coming off of things like The Fly and certainly Hellraiser, where so much of it is about the effects and is about the, you know, even Creep Show, you know, any of these movies, you know, The Return of the Living Dead, so effects heavy. Um, how do you think that contrasts, you know, in that capacity? I mean, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't notice it. I was like, you know, it's not it's not much of a slasher um, because you really don't get a lot of the slashing. Um, you just get really quick kind of looks at the aftermath. And I, I think that's effective. I think you see it happening. You know, they do show you uh, show you the sort of lead up to it. But I, I, I don't think this is a movie where you need to see it. Like this is, it's it's more of, what this has done to this person uh, and, and where that person goes. Um, I don't think you need to see the actual violence. I mean, you know what's happening. It's, it's pretty obvious um, th when you see it. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I, obviously it's a small budget. I don't expect them to do, uh, you know, crazy, but I don't feel it's, it's that kind of movie. Like, no, I, I agree. It. I agree. I, I actually kind of like the reveal, you know, the sort of save it for the end a little bit. Uh, yeah. Again, once McManus is kind of showing up, there is that sort of camera panning around. You do see the sort of remains, you know, Mike's off in the corner hunched, you know, and, and certainly uh, Lucas is, uh, you know, Hank has been found and kind of off on the, pla on the plastic and, <clears throat> excuse me. And Jeff, you know, has his thing in the van. So like, I do think that these sort of the, the, the reveals of their fates, I think is actually a pretty uh, effective. Again, I, I you know I don't think that you needed to watch a lot of blood and guts and gore. Um, and I yeah. thought even just the subtle bits, as I said, when he's got the the blood dripping onto his head from his hand, and the smock is a little bit all bloodied up. And you know, there I think there's enough elements to your to your point. I think they they showcase. Obviously, you don't. There's no there's no question of what's happening at that yeah. point. Uh, even if you don't necessarily haven't sort of been privileged uh, to to watch the demise, as it were. And again, I think I think if they were to show, you know, all a bunch of gore and everything else, again, it would kind of lead this movie to be something it's not. Um, you know, it's not a slasher. This is not a, a movie. This is you know, this is not Mike Myers. This this isn't someone who's got evil and this you know the black eyes and all that kind of stuff. This is this is a this is a dude who's literally uh, whose home life has fallen apart, <laughs> has really fallen yeah. apart, as you find out. Um, but uh, you know, this is a guy who had 
uh, all of these pressures on him and could not handle it and cracked. And, yeah. and this is what happens. Uh, so I don't think uh, I, you know, it, the, the gore would have just, again, given kind of pulled it in a different direction that, that doesn't need to be. And I mean, I, yeah. think, I think there's nothing, nothing explains this movie more than the last line of the movie. 100%. Which, which we'll get is there, absolutely, absolutely yeah, one of my favorite things. Of, of this thing. I, I think it actually, I mean, again, I really enjoyed this movie. I liked everything about it throughout, certainly on my first viewing, and I've continued to enjoy so many things about it. But I think, you know, without that last line as being the last line, and the final reveal of Simon and the, again, just the sort of cresting of that. And I think that that part of it is, I think, so brilliantly put together, as I mm-hmm. said, as a, as a narrative device, the personalities sort of telling their story, which doesn't relate whatsoever, at least in, 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 in you know, in the high, high level you know, extent, doesn't yeah. really relate to the story we're watching unfold, right? Like there's no correlation specifically. Um, so it's this parallel story you're hearing that just colors some of the general feelings around insanity and the, the, the hospital and the this is the that's until that yeah. last line, you realize there is an intersection because Simon yeah. gets on there and reveals as the doctor continues to press, right? Where does Simon live? I want you know, they've been asking for him this whole time. Finally, he shows up and they want to know where he lives and yeah. it, you know, they deliver. It's the best possible last line. And he talks about he was, he lives in the weak and the wounded. Yeah, it's so creepy. Um, it's so haunting. That is a haunting and phrase. Haunting. And, and, and what it tells me, and this is why sort of I look at this movie and, and it sort of colors that first Hello Gordon, is that there's Simon and everybody. Yeah, agreed. You know, yep. Everybody has that potential that they're, that they're, that they're going to have that sort of personality that's going to that's that's going to have to take over if they get to a point where they can't control themselves. You know, they can't uh, fix themselves, or they if they get so broken. Um, that's right. May not may that, not always be murderous, right? But I do think that there is that personality trait that is underneath. Yeah. yeah. And so, so the fact that that's you know, if you get so wounded that that this you know Simon comes out, this is this is what happens. You know, yeah, it's the worst version. It's the worst, exactly. your worst and instinct. So, and, and, so, and so when you watch it again and you hear that Hello Gordon, you realize that, okay, that's where he's now, it's it's taken it's taken hold. You know what I mean? Like he's on yep. the set. Um, that's and it. There's not much he can do. Um, so that's yeah, it. it's, it's, it's so such a great and haunting line uh, to end this movie. <laughs> like the last 10 minutes are so incredible. Uh, Absolutely. The reveal of everybody being dead. You're watching him with his broken phone, still having conversation. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Talking, begging the forgiveness and and crying and wanting to come home and uh, on on a phone, which is obviously not connected to anything. 100%. Yeah. And the pictures up in the cell, like in the room, right? Like he's basically, he's living there now, right? Like this is now his home. Yeah, exactly. uh, And Simon, it's like these warning signals along the way, you know, like this, uh, uh, you know, hello, Gordon, do it, Gordon. I'm watching, you know, this kind of stuff. And sure enough, yeah, just delivers that that last kicker of a line and and really sends you away, I think. Anyway, I walked away with that same feeling of, God, that's a creepy, creepy story. And uh, that just that, it's the only time they intersect. You know, it's like, why am I listening to this, to this story of Mary Hobbs? Oh, here's why. And yeah. I think it's just a, a brilliant construction. I love, I, I love so much about the, that movie in this, in this way. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't argue it. Like I said, it may not have been the movie that I went into the first time I watched it, but it's become uh, even more than that. As far as I'm concerned, every time I watch it, I, I appreciate it even more. Yeah. It's still a movie. I recommend uh, anytime anybody's looking for that kind of creepy, uneasy feeling, uh, whether it's around Halloween or otherwise, uh, because it's a, uh, as I said, it, it is often a movie that has not been seen. So I'm glad and happy to, uh, to share the wealth on it because I think, uh, I think it's worth seeing. I think it deserves to sort of be seen. You know, I think it's for people that don't like the gore and the blood and the guts, it delivers a, a scary, maybe more than a gory, which I think is a... Yeah. Is a and and never forget, hey, 
fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The the greatest line reading in the history of movies. David Caruso. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, next time, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Fright Night, uh, Tom Holland's uh, opus. I'm excited to chat about it, and uh, we'll see you next time, folks. Back to the 80s.